I cannot remember, and I feel like I say this in various ways over and over, but I honestly cannot remember having another conversation with a human that was more inspirational than what you're about to hear. This the the sit down that I was just able to do that you're you're about to listen to with Chris Gardner, who you know from the Pursuit of Happiness, the movie, in real life. He's the real he's the guy the movie was based on. It might make you rethink everything. Maybe not everything. It might make you rethink a lot. It might inspire you in a way that you hadn't thought before. And I think that for me and for hopefully all of our listeners, it might help you operate on a whole new level. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. My whole career has been about helping retirees find happiness in retirement. Hmm. It's evolved to the mission for this podcast is helping 1 million people retire one year sooner, creating a million years of extra financial freedom that didn't exist before. Uh, So that's the mission here of the show. But in my book, you can retire sooner than you think. The five money secrets of the happiest retirees. The beginning of that book is about you. And, 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 And I touch on your story because... And I say this in my talks that still to this day, Chris, in the little memento jar in my dresser, I have my my son's first Father's Day card. It was like, you know, he was like one and Lynn like just said, Dad, I love you, whatever. That's in there. Like I got an old watch in there, a couple other like tokens, mementos. And you know what I have saved from 2006 or four, whenever this was, is the movie stub, your movie stub. Because that thing hit me so hard, right? The pursuit of happiness hit me so hard as a dad, a new dad, when I watched that thing. In the financial industry, in the Great Recession, so it must have been 07, 08, because it was like, or maybe it was, it was 01. When did that movie come out? December of 06, so it would have been 07. So I think it was just because I'd gone through the first tech, crash and just you know was scared during that period i was young knowing that um oh you know what it was about a year or two later when i started to work on the i I worked on the book later but i'm reflecting back on that time oh seven and eight was scary in the economy it was tough for everybody in the financial business so so i always go back to that movie stuff that is the pursuit of happiness. And then that literally sent me on a journey, Chris, to, to research that. Like literally I started doing surveys and these big national studies on asking people about consumer habits, life habits, how do you, and then essentially what I, what I deduced from my research was the habits of what happy retirees do relative to the unhappy group. And I was like, wow, man, this is a book. And it was inspired by you. And that's why... Um, and we, we sold a lot of books, man. I sold like a hundred thousand copies of that book and it's led to this podcast and it's changed my career and my life. So I just, 
as we start, I'm just telling you, man, you have had a, a major impact on my life, and it's been help. I, I, I just, it's the real deal, man. Hey, man, I, I can't thank you enough for that and for sharing that. And uh, you know, I spent my entire career in our industry, so I know how important the work that you're doing is, and it's probably more important now today than it's ever been before to get people to embrace uh, that there are other opportunities. But first of all, you got to claim ownership. You can't change something until you own it. And that's a big part of the book. Well, let's let let me let me dive into and kind of the theme that I the the theme that I wanted to have you help us with. And obviously, you you know, the theme now of the podcast, but is that. And this, I think, is also so watching some of your talks and thinking about um, your journey. Um, no matter, no matter, and this is for our listeners, kind of no matter where any of us are in life, you're. I think, at least, if you're listening to an educational podcast like this, I think you're still dreaming big, or or at least you still can. You can still dream big, and life is about progress. And uh, no matter how much you've already accomplished or whatever you've already done, you can still dream bigger or more or progress. And, and I think since our income and our career and, or maybe our, the businesses that we own or our careers or whatever we make, that's the fuel to save and invest and be able to retire sooner. And I think today with Chris Gardner, who has inspired millions of people to fight for I love this plan A because I don't know. How do you feel about plan B? You know how I feel. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> you say it, man. I love this. No, man, you say it. Okay. So here, Chris Jordan says this, um, go for plan A because plan B, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go into, uh, l- l- let me start with, and I know you have the new, we have the new book, and we're gonna help. We're gonna certainly talk about the new book. Um, I think that, it, and I obviously I, I know I want to I want to have your I want to hear it from you. I know you've probably told the story literally a thousand times, but I got to hear it from you a little bit on the the the, the tough times that the movie Pursuit of Happiness is about your real life story. But I think first, just just as a peer, are. How many years are you still a financial advisor for some folks, or you're totally out of the out of the investment planning business? Just where are you in in our business? I have spent my entire career in our business. I supposedly retired five years ago. I am working harder than I've ever worked in my life. I am absolutely loving it. I am now officially the CEO of Happiness, and that's my job. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, a couple of times in your life, Wes, you're going to get to know this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and exactly what I'm supposed to be doing at this point, at this time in my life. And that makes me happy. Okay? No, finding the purpose. Hmm. Well, I, I am in the part of my life that I'm comfortable calling my JFK moment. Your uh, JFK the, moment. A little Explain bit that. I'll never forget being a little boy at elementary school and hearing President John F. Kennedy's inauguration address where he asked that question, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. 
that stuck with me. 60 years later, mm. stuck with me. And so as a result of that, I'm now in the process of making the biggest investment I've ever made in my life, and I'll never make a dime. I'm making a huge alternative investment in human capital. Specifically, I'm doing a tour right now that's going to have me speak at 1,000 high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools all across America. A thousand? That's a thousand. That get... is alternative investment in human capital. Mm. Yes, sir. Powerful. And are you gonna? Are you actually gonna go and do some of this in person? Are you gonna do a Zoom or just a combo? Well, you know what? We did the first 100 in person. But then the pandemic hit, and we had to make what I call the hard pivot. I talk about it in the book. And a hard pivot being defined as something you would have never chosen, but you still got to make it work. Yeah. 2020, we all had to make a hard pivot. None of us chose this. So true. But we had to find new ways. So now we're using technology. And one of the huge advantages, Wes, using this technology give me for instance spoke at a school down in texas the school is so big it's got five thousand kids but the auditorium only holds 700 students okay so now the principal's got to decide which of the five thousand students gets one of the 700 seats yeah but now using technology i get to talk to the whole school so i've got to tell you man I am absolutely loving it. What's your message to the ki kids? What are you What are you telling them? I'm talking to them about the three most important decisions that I ever had to make in my life, all of which I made at their age or younger. And many of our young people are having to make some major decisions in their lives right now, West. The three decisions, without taking a lot of your time, very briefly were, growing up without a father, I made the decision that when I grow up, become a man, and have children, my children are going to know who their father is. That is singularly the most important decision I've ever made in my life. Because that didn't just change my life. That changed the lives of my yet-to-have-been-born children and my grandchild. Mm. That one decision had generational impact. Number two, I made the decision I was going to become world-class at whatever I did with my life. Not good at it, not pretty good at it, but world-class at it. And I was able to do both of those things because I got the greatest gift that I ever got in my life from my mother, which was permission to dream. Mm. Is that number three, permission to dream? Number three, sir, was I made the decision I was going to do something that was bigger than what I saw every day, All right. All that stuff I saw every day. No, I was going to be bigger than that. So permission to dream made all of those things happen. It never would have happened without the permission to dream. And let me add this to you. Just think about this for a second. Oprah Winfrey and I are the same age, same zodiac sign, and went to the same elementary school. Hmm. How do we know the next Chris Gardner or the next Oprah Winfrey, or the next West Moss is not coming and going out of public school doors all across this country right now. The truth is, West, they are. They are. They are. My job is to let them know that they can. 
is the let me go back. So I love I love this, and then so permission to dream is the culmination of those three decisions that you know when you're and I like. I understand now that if you were, when I was 16, 17, I didn't know enough to even think about maybe how important it was to be a dad. Today, I'm a dad. I have four little kids. I have four boys, all young still. My mm. oldest is 14, all the way down to five. Mm. And when you're 16, you'd have no, I, I, you don't have the concept, at least I didn't. And that's why you're talking to these groups, particularly middle school. You don't quite understand the gravity of that. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to message to them. If they're going to li- if they listen, some of them will listen. But you're gonna you're trying to help them understand the gravity of that responsibility. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. When you step into an auditorium where we were able to do it live, and there are thirteen or fourteen hundred teenagers in that room, and for one hour nobody moves, no texting. No, nothing. I was down in Louisville, Kentucky, and the teachers showed me, and they pointed something out to me. Some of the other children were maybe mumbling or saying something, and the other children were saying, shh, hey. (laughs) And the teachers were like, man, we never saw that. (laughs) We never saw that before, okay? Let me tell you why they're listening so intently. You mentioned earlier, uh, getting a ticket stub from the movie. Mm-hmm. Think about this for a second. Let's do a brief timeline. Mm-hmm. That film came out December 2006. January 2007, economists started asking, is the U.S. economy going into a recession? Mm-hmm. Spring of 2008 is officially acknowledged as the beginning of a global financial crisis. A lot of the young people, West, who went away to college in 2008 saying, yes, we can they came out four years later saying, what the? <laughs> well, yeah. I did everything I was told to do. I went to school. I got good grades. I graduated. But now the world has changed so much. I got little to no opportunity to be in the business or industry I want to be in. I've got tens of thousands, if not $100,000 in student loan debt. And I got to move back in the house with mom and dad. If mom and dad haven't lost the house, the students that I'm talking to today, Wes, were their younger brothers and sisters. Mm. And they were watching. And they saw how things didn't work out like my big brother or sister thought they were going to. They thought they'd go get a job, and it took forever. They had to move back in the house. And the kids that you're talking to today, they recognize just how hard it is. Just how they hard saw. it is. Yeah. They saw. Because my big brother thought he was going to get this job. He was going to buy that car. He was going to move in this house. Right. And my big sister just knew she was going to do this. And now they're back in the house with me. Whoa. 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 What went wrong? Right. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> That's a whole different ball game, baby. So though so the kids you're talking to, you're trying to help them understand that. They should still be able to dream big. Do you feel like that generation was kind of just, you're saying they're kind of knocked back? Oh, man. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you a question. What would you say is the greatest export in the history of the United States? Now, are you being literal or are you being the figurative here? I don't know. I, I, what do you say? Just yeah, say, what, I, yeah I would on? say the biggest export would be our innovation. Okay. 
let, let me, let me, let, let's take a spin on that. I've asked people that question many, many times. And the first thing they think of is manufacturing. No. Technology. No. Hamburgers. No. You've gotten close to it. Hamburgers is a good one, though. That's, I like the that one. Greatest export, the greatest export in the history of the United States is the American dream. Yeah. I thought, yeah. And this ideal law that there's a place where you can do or be anything. That is the greatest export in the history of this country. So my job right now, people ask me, well, what are you doing? I tell them I'm in the import-export business. I'm trying to import our greatest export. Mm -hmm. And let's take it a step further. Let me tell you something, West. The first two times <clears throat> that I did this talk, Fitchburg, Massachusetts, 1,600 young people, the students were the children of rural working white people. Mm -hmm. I do the exact same talk a week later, Atlanta, Georgia. The students were the children of working urban minorities. Okay. I got the exact first question both times. The question, Wes, was, is the American dream still possible? Ooh. Is the American dream still possible? The exact words, and they're coming from 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. And In totally different, totally different demographics. Absolutely. Right? And that's when I knew this is where I'm supposed to be. Let's go back to the uh, – let's go back to your story and really – I, I think that the reason I don't want to go into all of it is that almost everyone has seen the movie. We know mm -hmm. that you, and this is what I say in my talks. And I talk about your story and correct me where I'm getting this, if I'm getting this wrong at all, but here is a guy that is doing all the right things, working hard, selling for, well, at least in the movie, I don't know. You, you can let me know if this was correct. Well, I remember commissions. commissions. Yeah, yeah. You're getting commissions sell. and it wasn't that you weren't selling and weren't doing your job. It's the company they didn't they ran out of they went out of business and they couldn't pay you. And so you were doing everything right, the company goes down and then you get stuck in the situation where you end up not being able to pay the rent with a young child. And I know that in the movie the 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 the, the who the actor was probably older than you. In real life, you had like a 14-month-old, right? Your son wasn't he like a like a baby. He was still in diapers. Mm. Okay. And that whole scenario that you just described, let's bring that to 2020. Mm -hmm. Think about all the people who went to work and had jobs and businesses every day, their whole lives. Some of the businesses were owned by various generations, handed down from father and mother to son and daughter, and all of a sudden, boom. Shut down. Over. Yep. It's over. One of the things that I see here in Chicago that breaks my heart is to walk up and down certain streets and look in a window and know they're not coming back, Wes. Mm -hmm. They're not coming back. You can't there be. Was, a, you people, can't have no revenue for six months and still survive for a lot of businesses. There were people who used to work there. Where are they now? There were people who owned that small business. Where are they now? Macy's, one of the largest retailers in the world, has let the city of Chicago know 
they're not coming back to Water Tower Place. My point is, whoa, that's Macy's. But think about all the foot traffic that fed off of people coming and going out of Macy's. All those little small businesses, they're gone, Wes. I always need these vitamin C doses of inspiration because no matter how good my career is and how good things go, I still hit walls. And I still love to hear how people like you were able to, and I think about all those struggles today. I mean, we still have 9 million people, 8 and 9 million people unemployed since the pandemic. Yeah, we've gotten 14 million jobs back, but we still got almost 10 million unemployed. If you were to look back on your difficult periods of time, like what gets you through that? How do you go through, how many months were you not able to have your own place? I mean, were you? One year. One year. Took me a year. And where were you living? I was living anywhere and everywhere that I could before we got our first home in Oakland, California. And living anywhere and everywhere included train stations, bus terminals, hotel lobbies, outside in the park, Union Square, San Francisco, airports. This was pre-9-11, Wes. Think about it for a second. The airports were open 24 hours. So you could go there. Get some refuge. There was nothing unusual about seeing a man, a baby, and a whole bunch of bags. It's an airport. Genius. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, so when you were working, it was it with Morgan? What was the first? Like Morgan Stanley or what was it? Dean Witter. Dean, Dean Witter. Witter. Okay. Was acquired by Morgan Stanley. So you were a, you were working there at a Wall Street firm, and you didn't didn't have a particular place to go home to. None. And you held it together. That's when that, that was that the gray suit, blue suit days. You were like you had two suits. You by the way, I still have like I've been. I basically have two pairs of pants. I got khakis and blue version, mm. and I've been. I go back and forth still. But anyway, well, that's by choice. <laughs> but you could do something different if you true. wanted. That's true. Okay. But the um, so then wh- where was it in that? That hard, such a hard business to make it in. And investment business is t- we the outside public sees that oh, when you're in Wall Street, they, they're making all this money. It is such a road to get to the Ooh. the road to perdition is not easy. How did you get there? Like, was there one big break, or is it just a bunch of grinding? No, man. I made the decision again. Talked about this earlier. I was going to become world-class at whatever I did with my life. I made that decision before I knew there was a place called Wall Street that even existed. Okay? But the second that I walked onto the floor of a major trading room, I knew, whoa, whoa, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. It was not I think I can do that. Uh... It was not I like to try that. No. This is where I'm supposed to be. And that's what it takes, Wes, to make it in our industry. Yeah. If you don't feel that way, get out of the business. You'll never be any good. You might make a couple of bucks, but you'll never have a 30-year career. Mm-hmm. You'll never okay? be world class, yeah. No, no, no. And you know what? Let me say something about that, about people in our industry. <sighs> I don't know how many years ago, Young man cold called me. Now, Wes, I am the king of the cold call. You used to do that, right? I am the king of the cold call. And out of respect 
I take the call just out of respect. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not going to shut him down or be rude out of respect. Okay. He clearly had not done his research. He doesn't know who he's talking to. Yeah. I'm just another name on the card. Yeah. And he makes the pitch. And I did explain to him, uh, young man, no, I don't think I'm a, a prospect. And, but let me ask you a question before you go. Do you love this business? And you know what he said to me, Wes? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Hit the wrong guy. That's the oh, wrong answer to the wrong oh, guy. <laughs> oh, and you know what I did? I picked up the phone and called the national sales manager at his firm and said, you got a problem. <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard that story. You got a problem. Wes, at this point in time, this would have been 08 and 09. Yeah. People would have given anything to be working in our industry. And, he, and I got a guy on the phone telling me, eh, it's okay. <laughs> fired you up. Fired me up and he got fired too. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about my children and I think, what would they do for a living? Now, and I'm trying to take me out of it. I'm trying to say, let's just say I no longer have an investment firm. You got nowhere, dad, you can't come work for dad. Uh, I have no idea, you know, you, you're 100% on your own. What are they going to do? Now, you're saying that you have to be world class at something. You're going to kind of know. I think what you're saying is beyond like just do what you love. You got to find a, find a place where you know you are going to be able to excel at. Right. It's not necessarily the dream. Nobody, very few people get their quote dream job. Or do you say, go, go, go until you find the dream? Two things. First of all, back to your children. Maybe we don't need to be talking about or asking about what you're going to do. Maybe the conversation needs to change to who are you going to be? Mm. That's a whole different conversation, Wes. Yeah, it is. Who are you going to be as a person, as a man? Who are you going to be as a young woman? Okay. One of the questions that comes up a lot of times with uh, me and students when I'm doing these virtual events is exactly kind of directly related to what you were just saying. And young people will ask, well, I'm trying to figure out, well, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? Okay, a couple of things. First of all, man, that... Whatever you're going to do is going to change. Give yourself some flexibility and be open to opportunities. Because one day you're going to do what I did, which is walk into a situation, a trading room or a shop or a factory, and it's going to, boom, this is it. But just as importantly, Wes, more importantly, right now you can make the decisions on what you're not going to be. Mm. Okay. I talked about it earlier. All those things that I saw every day, I made some decisions on what I was not going to be, which ultimately was more important than what I did become with my career. I made a decision. I was not going to become illiterate, alcoholic, child abusing, wife beating, loser, powerless. Huh? And that was more important. And was that because, so is that the environment though you grew up in and you knew you just. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So you grew up in this harsh, harsh environment. Here's what, Chris, here's another thing. I don't, I just don't even begin to know the answer. Mm. How do families, let's say a 16 year old boy today uh, in, in Chicago that's in that situation, how do they even know how to, how to get out of that? It seems really tough to me. If you're in that world and you got your dad left or your and the parents abusive, how do you even have the a little bit enough light to know how to get out? You know what you do? The truth of the matter is something that I did. That little bit of light, you focus on that. Focus on that little bit of that what? little bit of light. I saw a light with all the darkness. I saw a light in my mother. And I saw a light in others with whom I did not share a single drop of blood. And I embraced it. Seeing and embracing, those are two separate actions. I put forth a concept in my book, something I call spiritual genetics. Hmm. Okay? And spiritual genetics, I had to define it for Webster's so that they could finally figure out where to put it in a dictionary. Spiritual genetics. What is it that makes you, you, that has nothing to do with anatomy, biology, chemistry, or physics? The part of you that cannot be analyzed, quantified, nor measured. That of you that is not composed of blood type, DNA, or pigmentation. The part of you that is beyond the scope, reach, or understanding of science, medicine, or technology. Now, did I just nail that shit or what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you did you did okay. you did All nail right. that shit <laughs> the whole idea wait you can choose yes you can choose and let's let's not diminish okay all the things you've mentioned they're all there they're real but in here you can choose mm-hmm. there's a power and you embrace that power and all this other stuff. And that's what that's why these kids are silent. And that's why these kids are listening. Because that's a message that anybody, if they wanna if they wanna if they're open to it, uh, it get it gives me chills because it is the the, the I guess to your what you're saying is that you choose your own spirit. You can choose. And you can see the spirit in others, the lightness or the darkness. We're talking about spirits. I'm not talking about religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Religion is what you believe. Spiritual is what we are. Mm -hmm. So let's be clear on that because some folks will get upset that he was talking about religion on on West's show. All right? We're talking spirituality. That's a whole different situation. All right. Nobody's going to cancel Chris Gardner for talking about spirit, your spirit. I love that. (laughs) So you were a financial advisor for, let's say, 20-some years, Right or 30. thirty, but mm. I'm saying before that movie hit, how did that thing? How did that change your life? Like, and first of all, did you ever think in a million years that would happen? Oh come on, man! Nobody lives their life thinking one day this is gonna make a great movie. Yeah, <laughs> nobody does. Okay, and nobody thinks that you know what? One day Will Smith is gonna call me and say, <laughs> "Play you in my next film." That's right. <laughs> come on, Wes, you can wait for that call a long. Is it by the way, is that is that in at all at how that worked? By the way, was it did you get a call from a producer or literally Will Smith was like, hey man, I want to make a movie about you? Uh, a couple of things happened. First of all, 
we did a piece um, on a local television show in San Francisco that knew I was still very involved in the homeless shelter and the church, Glide Memorial Church in Reverend Cecil Williams in San Francisco. Barbara Walters saw it and said, this story needs bigger exposure. Mm-hmm. So 2020 picked it up. Okay. And when Barbara Walters picks something up, that takes it to a whole nother level. Will Smith saw that piece and boom. We need to make a movie about you. That's it. And then what, two years later, that thing came out? How long did it take? Man, you know what? The truth of the matter is, uh, first of all, very interesting. The screenwriter, Steve Conrad, also lives here in Chicago. Okay. So Steve and I had the opportunity to really spend time together and to talk about some things that otherwise he would have just been guessing. Uh-huh. He would have just been writing. Right. So I was in a position to look, fill in the blanks and help him connect the dots. Okay. That's number one. Number two, I was also given a very, very unique opportunity. Normally, when you sell the rights to your life story to Hollywood, they say, here's your chat, go away, and we'll send you two tickets to the premiere. <laughs> right. Right? Right? And then you look up at the screen and say, whoa, who the hell is that? You have no idea. <laughs> it was Will Smith who said to me, no, man, I need you to be on the set every day because playing you is going to be harder than playing Muhammad Ali. Mm. His point was, everybody knows Ali. They know the stories. They know how Ali reacted. They know what happened. Nobody knows you. So for 17 weeks, while everybody else was watching him, he was watching me. Okay? This guy had me down to the point, Wes. He has to sign my name to a contract in the film, signs an exact replica of my signature. Wow, he's good. (laughs) He is good, isn't he? He's the best. Yes, sir. He is good. So, so that took another, let's say the, the screenwriting, then what the production. And then two years later, all of a sudden this thing is out. Right. And then what happened? Because you were still a financial advisor during that period of time. Well, you know what? The truth of the matter is I had a couple of things happen, man. First of all, um, I began to get invitations to, to speak at some places, um, locally, and domestically, and then <laughs> you make me think of some stuff, Wes. I can't. I shouldn't even be talking to you about the new show. Okay, let me no, it's okay. You Come on, no, 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 Come on. No, no, no. bring let it me out. Tell you Will said to me, as these speaking engagements began to appear, he says, "Watch Friday when this movie comes out." People are going to be willing to pay you double on Monday what they were willing to pay you on Friday. Mm. And you're okay with that. Hey, uh, I learned a lot from Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. so that happened. So all of a sudden, your speaking fee went up, right? Oh, man, look, when the biggest movie star in the world plays you, Sony spends $100 million on marketing. A billion people around the world now know your name. That film, Wes, that became the first American film ever shown in China. Really? Yeah. So it did just, I mean, that's a ride that nobody has any idea what it's going to be. 
that's the point. You nothing can prepare you for that. Mm-hmm. When they start pushing a couple of buttons, Houston, we have left off. Did that change your ability to be able to now focus even more on this other purpose about speaking and your message relative to the other important job, which being a financial advisor, it's a big time job too. You know How do you balance that, man? That's a big that's a big fork in the road. Or can you do both? You can do both. Okay, let's do the transition part. First of all, I had a class, world-class team that worked with me and for me that I, that I had handpicked, mm-hmm. okay? I didn't have a lot of people. I just had a lot of smart people. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is some of the best investments I've ever, ever made in my life, I made in people, right? So I was in a position to go and do and pursue these opportunities and know the business would be fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I had something else very, very important happen that we talked about the first chapter of the book. Man, I lost the love of my life to brain cancer nine years ago. Holly and I have been together for 20 years. I now know the greatest honor I ever got in my life was I got the honor of being her primary caregiver for the last four years of her life, and we fought brain cancer, okay? And it's kind of funny, one of these things, Wes, you and I, well, we sit down and we talk for real. I'm a very, very spiritual person. Uh, I believe in some things, okay? Uh, I don't talk about them with everyone. I believe in some things. But at this point in time, I have been on the road 200 days a year all around the world. But I look at my calendar. We found out there was one place in Bloomington, Indiana, that offered a treatment that could help. But you have to have six weeks of treatment, five days a week for six weeks, proton radiation therapy. I looked at my calendar. For the first time in 10 years, I didn't have any place to be for six weeks. After all of that, so you went on this ride from 2000. After all that, I had no place to be for six weeks. And that was God's way of saying to me, son, it's not that you don't have nothing to do. Your job has changed. You mm-hmm. got to take care of Holly. Mm-hmm. So you went to, with Holly to Bloomington, Indiana. It wasn't just she and I. Mm-hmm. It was she, I, and Cassius. Mm-hmm. We, we had a dog, a boxer, who thought he was a little boy. <laughs> so you took and Cassius to Bloomington? Oh, man, we load up the truck. We load up the truck, all right? Uh, we go down on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. It's a three-and-a-half-hour ride from Chicago to Bloomington, Indiana, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, treatment, back in the car on Chicago, and Friday, back to Chicago, do our weekend, right? And when you're doing this job, one of the things I talk about in the book is having to make a hard pivot. Mm-hmm. This, is a hard, this is a hard pivot. This is the hardest pivot I ever had to make in my life. Mm-hmm. To go from best friend 
lover, soulmate, partner in crime to primary caregiver. Uh, uh. Right? There's some people, Wes, a lot of people know this and are experiencing this right now. That's the hardest pivot that you're ever going to have to make in your life. But also, sir, I will submit to you, that's the greatest honor you will ever have in your life is when somebody that you love knows I'll be there. Mm. So you spent that time with her. That oh, the... That became my life. Mm -hmm. Right? That became my life. I brought all the king's horses and all the king's men. Mm. But you know what? She gave me something. What did so she give you? Things. So many things. And I used to cry because she's gone. Now I just smile because she was here. Mm. Mm. Right? I'm telling you, man. Um, gave me the gift. One of the things we talk about in the book is this whole concept of atomic time. Tell our listeners what atomic time is. I will submit to you that we're all living in the same space right now. Okay? The same space chronologically. We are physically, geographically, politically, spiritually, financially, in different places. But chronologically, we're all living in what I call atomic time. This right here, that's the watch that gave birth to atomic time. This is hers. Everybody that knows me knows I wear two watches. I've done so for 35 years. But now, this one, some people could say this one's expensive. This one is priceless. Mm, that's Holly's watch. Some kind of a way, the tumor in her brain, Wes, began to strangle the optic nerves, mm -hmm. taking away her vision to the point that she could only see exactly one half of what she was directly looking at. But some kind of a way, she could see the white numbers on the black face of this watch. She picked it out. I gave it to her Christmas day. She opens the box, Wes, and she says, wow, it's got atomic time. And I was like, atomic time? Look, let me see that watch. I take one look at the watch. It says, girl, that says automatic, not atomic. And <laughs> <laughs> Wes, we laughed like we hadn't <laughs> laughed in years. But that's what time it was for us, Wes. It was atomic time, meaning we were engaged in a passionate pursuit to the nth degree. That is atomic time, sir. I will submit to you. We are all right now fighting to protect our health. We're fighting to protect our families. Some of us are fighting to protect our businesses and livelihoods, and some of us are fighting to protect our dreams. It's atomic time mm. all around the world, especially here in America. How have you gotten through COVID? That the, the I mean, as we kind of emerged from COVID, did COVID change your life at all? Absolutely. But I'm going to disagree with you on one thing. We're not going to talk a lot about it. We have not emerged. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the first things that I learned in the U.S. Navy, I spent some of the best years of my young life in the U.S. Navy. One of the first things we learned is getting the ship turned around is one thing. Getting it underway is something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Those are two separate exercises. What do we need to get underway by the most part? Are you talking about the economy or are you talking about the health part of this? I'm talking, you can't talk about one without the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, that that's part of the mindset that we need to adjust to. Another thing we need to adjust to, honestly, a couple of things. I'm not basing this on any conspiracy theory, nothing scientific. My gut is telling me, West, we're going to be playing in this space some variation of it for at least the rest of this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is me talking to me. I don't know anything about what the experts are saying. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've adjusted. Okay. But I got to tell you something else, man. Now I'm jumping ahead. It's okay. I'm tremendously excited because I've seen the future. And okay. what and uh, what is it? The future's bright. The future is bright, baby. Let me tell you something. When I'm with these young people from coast to coast, when I was doing it live, I could shake their hands, I could look up in the eyes, I could huggle, and I could feel it. But now I have to use the technology to do it. Let me tell you something. Some of us may be less than impressed with the players we've seen take the field recently, but in America. The bench is deep. (laughs) (laughs) We're deep on the bench, Wes, and they're coming. And let me tell you something. This is about to be, and I want you to remember, you're recording this, right? I want you to remember. We are recording this. Right here. I want you to remember you heard it right here first. We are about to see the biggest comeback in the history of comebacks. I'm talking about the United States of America. This is going to be bigger than Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I feel like you might. Yeah, I wrote. I wrote a bunch of articles this year about the comeback of America, mm. and I used the rock. I said this is the Rocky Balboa economy. So I love that analogy. I love that analogy. We're coming back, baby. The um, let, let me ask you to let's go back to. I want to. I want to talk about this dreaming again. Um, are we afraid? So, so not let's maybe not the students. Now, I know we've talked about students. I want mm-hmm. to talk about the twenty-five to fifty-five, or maybe mm-hmm. older. But th- let's talk about the let's talk about the grown-ups that are toiling away in this economy. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I've had more people at least put their commute on the top of the list of like I can't drive an hour and a half every way twice a day over and over and again for thirty years. I gotta ret- I gotta stop this job, Wes. Are we afraid to dream? What if you're 35 today? Can you put it in the context of what is next for that 35 year old listening? And they're they're working. Talk to me about that. Stop right there. Let's do this. When I hear things of that nature, it makes me reflect on my last conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Maya Angelou. We were talking about struggle. And I will never forget her saying to me that we have the people for this mountain. We must all be mindful that there were people who came before us who came up a steeper side of this mountain carrying a bigger to heavier load with little to no opportunity, but they kept going forward, onward, and upward. And still I rise. This has been done before, Wes. Now it's our turn. And I'm telling you, 
The future is bright. And if you don't believe that, get off the field and get out the way because the bench is deep and they came to play. Mm, I love that. That's American dream right there. That's still the American dream. We got to go forward here, man. But as we do go forward, Wes, let's be, somebody needs to hear me say these words. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to take a lot of baby steps, Wes. It's not going to be abracadabra. We're going to have to take a lot of baby steps. It's going to be a matter of nonlinear progressions. It's not going to be A, B, C, one, two, three. It's not going to happen. Get your mind around that. Stop wishing for that. It is not going to happen that way. We're going to have to take a lot of baby steps. The, I know in the newer book, the new book, you talk about the three R's. I, mm. hold, hold for just a sec. Mm. I've, I've read one of your pieces about it's not enough to have the dream. Mm. You need a plan. Mm. I loved that when I heard you say that it's not enough to just have the dream. We've got to have something concrete in order to get there. What's the plan? Everybody got a dream. A dream without a plan is worthless. A dream with a plan is priceless. Mm. And you've got to have something we talk about. I believe this. Plan A. Again, some people are going to feel uncomfortable, Wes. I'm just sharing with you what worked for me Mm -hmm. and a few other people that I know. Okay? It's plan A. And your best plan A's all have something that I call the C5 complex. Your plan A must be clear, concise, compelling, consistent, and committed. You've got to have a plan A. And just a few examples. I'm here in Chicago. I can think of three people that come to mind instantly. There's a guy named Michael Jordan. He's got six NBA championship rings because he was committed to plan A, not plan B. Mm. Oprah Winfrey became the queen of all media because she was committed to plan A, not plan B. So let's say it again. Plan B sucks. (laughs) 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 Wes, plan B B sucks. You think about it a second. Plan B distracts from plan A. Yeah, it does. Okay. Here's what I want you to do with your plan B. Give it, wrap it up nice and give it to somebody you don't like for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, that applies back to, if you think about, uh, if you think about the listeners of this show, Retire Sooner podcast, you know, with, with Wes Moss, and I've been doing Money Matters for 12, 13 years on the radio, (laughs) is that you got to have plan, plan, if you want to, let's say, move from your career to something with even more meaning, let's say full-time in your life, and you want to do that at 55 or 60, which is early in America. Most people don't even get to 67 or 70 and have the means that the, that'll support a full uh, spending uh, what they've done while they're in their working careers. And it takes an awful lot. Uh, it takes your your five C complex. It's a clear, concise, compelling plan to be able to get to a retire sooner date. Let alone sixty seven. I'm talking about to fifty five. You got to have. You got to be committed to Plan A to do that. 
let, let me let me interject something here directly related to what you're talking about. And those examples I gave earlier, some people could say, oh, those are good examples, but they were all young people and life hadn't knocked them down. They hadn't had to come back from a serious comeback. They had not, as Steve Jobs once said, had life hit them in the head with a brick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let, let, let's go up to the senior class. We talked about the freshmen. Let's talk about a guy named Ray Kroc. If you don't know that name, Ray Kroc founded McDonald's when he was 56 years old. Mm. Let's talk about Colonel John Pimbleton. He created a little product called Coca-Cola when he was 58. Everybody knows Harlan Sanders, the colonel. What you don't know is he didn't sell his first piece of chicken until he was 62. That's inspiring. Okay. My favorite in that senior class, when you go to Italy, you're going to see some of the most incredible pieces of art, sculptures, paintings, drawings, all created by Michelangelo. But the one thing that stays with me, Wes, is a quote where he says, I feel like I'm still learning. He said that at 87 years of age. Curiosity. The happy retiree is a curious person. Well, it's, we, what, what is this retiree? Maybe we need to stop using that word. Retire? No, dude, we're transitioning. I'm changed. I've grown. Okay? I don't have to retire. No. Baby, right now, Wes, I am 67 years old. I'm a 67-year-old startup. <laughs> <laughs> you don't feel... Don't, you know, hey, by the way, what do you feel inside? I mean, you don't... How old are you inside? I don't know. I do know this. I'm going to the gym today. I'm going to get in that squat rack and I'm going at it. <laughs> no, in your mind, did you feel that like you are, I, I, in my mind, I still have this thought that I'm like, I don't know, kind of similar to how I thought about the world when I was maybe like 30, which is a fair amount of time ago. Do you, do you think of it like when you were 30 or are you still in, in oh, present time? Are you I, present I, time? No, no, no. And I would never do that. Me personally. Because I've learned so much in the last 37 years. Yeah, yeah. That I'm not the same person, right? I mean, if you're, you're the same person. I mean, I know you have the feelings. Okay, that's one thing. But if you still view the world as you did 30 years ago, you wasted 30 years of life. It's mm. a good right? way to look at it. That's a good okay. way to look at it. It's good to have Young at Heart, Frank Sinatra. I love that song. <laughs> by the way, by the way, you, you've got such a good just rhythm about the way you talk about all this stuff. It's like mm. I, no wonder you get paid a lot of money to speak. You get I know you don't get paid enough to speak. Tell me about the three R's right now. Oh man. Okay, now, now this is where we're gonna test how old you are, young man. Mm. Did you ever have to sing the song about the three R's? Oh, I don't know. I know. I have not. Reading, writing, and arithmetic? I, uh, no, listen, man, I'm, I'm old enough to have watched Reading Rainbow back in the day. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. No, I okay. You call your mom, your dad, your grandparents, <laughs> and ask them about the original three R's. Okay. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Okay. That song was written in 1795. Okay? Yep. We had to sing it at elementary school, but there's okay. a new three R's. The rep, the rap, and the roller deck. Okay? <laughs> yeah. You've got to have a reputation for excellence and integrity in your business and your personal life. The rap, you've got to be able to communicate. 
You can have the best goods, services, or products in the world, but if you cannot rap, if you cannot communicate, you never go sell anything. Mm-hmm. And the Rolodex. Now, Wes, back in the day, we just had this big paper thing that sat on your... You, you with me? I Wes? do remember that. I've seen that. I remember seeing that on the desk when I first started 20-some years ago. I remember there were some of the guys that had... Do you still have a Rolodex, by the way? Yes, I do. I do. You do? Okay. I bet. Okay. But that Rolodex are your relationships. Mm-hmm. Relationships can be worth more than money, okay? Relationships are to be valued, treasured, and protected. Relationships can do things that money cannot. Mm. That is so, so, so true. They are priceless. They All are right? priceless. So those are the new three R's, Wes. You've got that for your last lesson for the day. I hope you wrote that down. Rap, rap, Rolodex. And when you go home, okay, who are you closest to in your family? Next generation up. Your oh, mom, man. your dad, your grandparents. Oh, next generation up. Mm. I would say it's a it's a tiebreaker between my mom and my dad. Okay, both of them. You ask them, what are the what were the three R's? <laughs> <laughs> my dad's a, 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 a retired veterinarian. He's not going to, he's not, he's going to oh, be like, please. he goes, I don't I'm know a, what the I'm hell you're talking you, about. <laughs> I'm going to bet you five bucks right here. Your father knows that song. Oh, he knows. Song. If you went to public school, he knows that song. What is ne- our last question? What is next for my friend, Chris Gardner? Hey man, schools, the JFK moment, 1000 schools all across this country. I'm trying to create the next Chris Gardner's. Mm. What does that mean? Real simple. If a young woman comes up to me and says, I want to become a billionaire, I've got to say, I've never done that. I can't help you with that. When a young man comes up to me and says, I want to become the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company, I've got to say, I've never done that. I can't help you with that. But when a young person comes up to me and says, I want to do something that I love, I'm committed to becoming world-class at it, and I want to work for myself. To that young person, I could say, I've done that. (laughs) Talk to me. (laughs) I can help you with that, okay? (laughs) And when I say, Wes, I'm going to help create the next Chris Gardner's, some of them are going to be girls. Mm -hmm. Let's be real clear on that. Mm -hmm. And folks have asked me, adults, you know, when they hear me say that, well, well, how— what are the odds of you ever happening again? Mm, that's a good question. That's a good question. But, Wes, I don't know the answer on the odds because I'm only focused on the evens. As in, even though, even if, even when, even where, even you, even me. This has been done before, Wes, but now it's our turn. Let's go to work. Got a deep bench. <laughs> Chris Gardner, a pleasure, my friend. All right, baby. Bench. Thank you, Wes. I, I feel honored and I feel inspired that I was able to have this conversation with Chris Gardner. I think about his JFK moment. You know, what is what is your JFK moment? Who are you going to be? You know, that's not just a question for kids. That's not a question just for middle schoolers or high schoolers. That's a question that you and all of us, we can ask ourselves that at any time, at any point. Who are we going to be in our next chapter in the next year? Someone that came from such difficult circumstances who held on to just a tiny, tiny sliver of light. And if that, if that is not an inspiration to all of us to be better, to think about life in a slightly different way, I don't know, I don't know who else we could find. 
So thank you for listening to this. Please share this. This is the kind of podcast I think you share with a, with someone close to you in your life because they're they're just not they're not going to be disappointed hearing from Chris. It's like take me to church, Chris Gardner, and we love to hear from you. So we'd love to hear your feedback and what else we can do to help continue to inspire you like we just did hopefully today on the Retire Sooner podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.